Hello and welcome to Healing from Within. I am your host, Cheryl Glick, author of Life is No Coincidence, The Life and Afterlife Connection, and The Living Spirit, which shares stories of spiritual awakening, spiritual communication, healing energies, and miracles, which lead us to our intuitive nature and ways to know ourselves and live more in accordance with our life plan. I am delighted to welcome Stephen Folder, author of What's Beyond Mindfulness, a life changing guide on every aspect of modern life from using mindfulness to heal conflict age wisely deal with tiredness and stress find fulfillment at work and make friends with your body heart and mind hello Stephen, and thank you for joining us on healing from within thank you thank you i am absolutely delighted and honored and uh uh, yeah, my book is written really to what what it's like to look again at our life from a more awakened point of view. How do we look at the ordinary and also the extraordinary uh, from a more awakened point of view? So the book does go into daily life issues like, uh, as you say, tiredness and sickness and conflict, uh, but goes all the way into what is awakening and uh, what is uh, equanimity and what is um, what is the beyond. Uh, so it really goes all the way. Yes. So in today's episode of Healing from Within, we will discover what's beyond mindfulness are important concepts such as happiness is found in being, not having, to the impact of deep listening and sharing our suffering as a way to create empathy and build bridges among war-torn groups. Stephen Folder has spent years teaching, healing, and peace work in Israel and Palestine. Stephen, I always love to ask my guests to think back to their earlier beginnings, perhaps childhood, and remember a person, place, event, or value that may have shown you or others the adult lifestyle and work that you would pursue. Uh, for I find often in the beginning, there already is a passion for our true destiny in this life. So uh, yeah, well, I can, I'll, I'll give you two small stories. Uh, one actually is from my childhood when I was, I guess, seven, growing up in London, and uh, I loved the Jungle Book. And... Um, in the Jungle Book, Mowgli uh, assumed he was a wolf because his parents uh, were wolves. He, he was brought up by wolves, and so he assumed he's a wolf. And it raised an existential question. Maybe I am Stephen only because I'm told I'm Stephen. <laughs> uh, in other words, uh, there isn't really a Stephen. It's just an assumption or something being told to me. My parents growing up, like uh, grooming up as Stephen, so therefore I think I'm Stephen. So it showed me that reality, there isn't a fixed reality. Everything is flexible and dynamic and free, and you think who, that you're you, or you think about the world as it is, but actually things are much freer and uncertain. So when I went to India, I was a, a lecturer uh, in Indian universities uh, lecturing in biochemistry, and uh, I spent a lot of time on the banks of the Ganges uh, with the sadhus and with the mystics. And um, 
I spent years in India, actually. And from there, I really learned what it's like to have a spiritual reality as daily life as it is in India. That, that was in 1976 when I went there first time. Daily life from a spiritual point of view, that's in a way very strong for me uh, in India. It's not something beyond. It's not something un, uh, uh, unreal or be behind the sky kind of. It can be in our life, in our breath, in our body, in the way we look at reality. So I, it, it, it brought it really close to me, the, the spiritual life. You had a very interesting beginning. Really interesting. Now, many people question how to go about making decisions. And you wrote something about that. You wrote, sometimes it's agonizing and usually stressful. We just can't decide about something. It might be as trivial as what restaurant to go to tonight. I remember the gut-wrenching nights when I was just 15 and the school required that I choose the humanities or science. Faced with the endless possibilities of what might happen in the future, the mind spins one scenario after another scenario, trying to predict the best outcome. This is what causes stress. The reason that the mind does this, it is driven by a me, a self, which has as its job description the search for the safest and most comfortable outcomes for itself in an unpredictable world. Essentially, it cannot be done. The future is unknown, and the best we can do is to write possible future scripts based on our experience of the past or who we know ourselves to be. And you were just talking about that. Who you told, <laughs> who actually, who, who you're told to be, but who you probably might not really be, because we are multidimensional and we are many things and our self or ego mind that you were talking about sometimes gets us into trouble out of fear and you yes. and I were talking yes. about everything being either fear-based there are only two emotions fear-based or love-based and we're always flipping back from one to the other in search of knowing ourselves better isn't that correct that that's correct um we, uh, uh, I think, we first of all, we all have love inside us. We all have a core of, um, shall we say, clarity mm. and perfection. It's deep inside, uh, even if it's covered over by layers and layers of confusion, of conditioning, mm. uh, of suffering and wounds and woundedness, uh, which make a kind of contracted self and a busy self and a survival-oriented self, but underneath, we do know perfection. It's the, the beauty that, that, that is in the soul uh, of every human being deep down, uh, only sometimes so covered over. So our, our job, in a way, is to do a little bit of archaeology and sort of uh, uncover the innate purity and perfection that exists inside each one of us, and it can be done. And I think that's the positive side. I'm very interested in the, the, in the Buddhist teaching. I've been teaching um, retreats and, uh, and practicing myself for 40 years. And um, I'm interested in the Buddhist teaching because it's really very practical. And it gives very direct, uh, direct methods and ways of uncovering 
this perfect being in, inside us, discovering it. And it's, it's a very positive, uh, uh, it's a positive teaching because the Buddhist teaching says we can, inside ordinary experience, we can find that the heart of experience, there's some perfection there. We're not lost souls forever kind of da- damned. We're, we are just deluded. We've got coverings of conditioning and, and, and pain, but we can look inside. And that's where beyond mindfulness is really important. If we go deeply into our experience, an experience can be so small, like looking in the eyes of somebody, or the moment when we just sit quietly and have a cup of tea and really look into that moment and really rest and stop and see where we are in that moment, we will discover inside us a place of purity, a place of love, and a place of perfection. Slowly, slowly, it will grow. Yes, and what you're talking about is what this show is all about, self-investigation and self-mastery of our emotions, learning who we are where we come from, and how we can proceed to develop ourselves. Because as souls having a spiritual, uh, physical life, we are here to remember the potential we have to create and manifest. And the Buddhist way gives us very practical ways, as you said, to begin to know ourselves, uh, to live and walk in our own truth, and to let the outside world bring to us what we bring from within ourselves, what we want to create. It's not the outside world that's affecting us as much as from what's in ourselves. Again, getting back to our fear or our conditioning from childhood or whatever it yeah. was that at that uh, yeah. may have not been right for us, but we assumed was right for us at the time and which needs to change. So let's go on to talk about how your book is organized and why it is this way. Yeah, um, it's uh, organized in three parts because the fundamental uh, the, the fundamental teaching of the Buddha was uh, the Eightfold Path. And the Eightfold Path has three sections. And the first section is really, before you start spiritual growth, put your house in order. In other words, you can't ride uh, spiritually with all kinds of meditations and esoteric practices um, if you haven't sorted out somewhere, basically, how you act in the world. So ethics, uh, awareness of your actions, awareness of of your speech and what you're doing in life, uh, helping others and not harming others, all of that is the kind of ground, is uh, putting your house in order. Then, So that's the first part of the book. Um, It's putting your house in order, looking at different things in your life that, for example, uh, not being too needy, demanding, greedy, uh, lost in desire and aversion and so on. How to kind of uh, start. Yeah. And then so the second self, part of the book. Self-awareness or, 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 or the reasons you do certain things and the values that you want to work and on. And values, exactly, exactly. Okay. Then the second part of the book is uh, the second part of the Eightfold Path that the Buddha taught, which is method. What do you do? What is samadhi? The, the Indian word samadhi, Sanskrit word samadhi means to gather yourself together, to be clear, to have ways of being aware, including meditation, uh, including 
um, kindness, uh, including calmness, including balance and ease and steadiness in the face of difficulty, and all those methods are, shall we say, the second part, and uh, that's the second part of the book and the second part of the eightfold part. The third part is the wisdom, which is what we learn when we practice, when we uncover the conditioned layers, shall we say, uh, that are kind of covering over our inner perfection. Um, when, when we uncover, what do we see? And we see, for example, um, we see love, as you say. We see that the world is constructed of love. We see harmony. We see liberation. Liberation is expanded consciousness, an awareness that is like the sky, and an awareness in which our thoughts are not going to damage the consciousness just like the, the, the clouds can't hurt the sky. So it's a sky-like awareness that we develop in which, which is not against ordinary life. We can be right in ordinary life, doing our job, going out in the street, but we're going out with a kind of expanded, more global, more panoramic, more oceanic kind of awareness in which we're ready to see everything as it is. So that's the third part of the book, uh, and it's relating, of course, to awakening, and it's uh, the, the wisdom side. It's the third part of the Eightfold Path. Wonderful. I love the words you used to describe liberation. That was wonderful. Uh, please tell us about your years working to bring healing and peace to Israel and Palestine and what you see as the way that this divide may one day be ended with peace and well-being to both being achieved. Yeah, um, uh, I should say, first of all, that um, it's extremely difficult situation mm. on the ground. It's extremely difficult. So I've been working 20 years bringing Palestinians and Israelis together and sometimes Israelis and Israelis in left-wing, right-wing mm. uh, people and don't just work with Israelis and Palestinians. But we've been, uh, we've been um, doing workshops, going on silent peace walks with Israelis and Palestinians, walking slowly through the land, uh, demonstrating that there's another way of being. We walk, we've been walking quietly, slowly, steadily, uh, clearly Israelis and Palestinians walking through towns in Jerusalem, Tel Aviv, and, and villages uh, both in Palestine and Israel. And it, it's modeling peace. So one, one method that we're doing is modeling peace, is saying, look, it's not the end, it's not fatal. We are in a very difficult conflict situation that's been going a hundred years, mm. but look, we can be different here. We're doing it. We're not talking about it. We're actually doing it. I'll give you a small example. One time, uh, 400 uh, Palestinians, Israelis, and a few people from abroad, uh, we walked, and I was leading this walk, uh, from a, 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 a town uh, to the separation wall that's been built separating um, Israel and, and Palestine. And we, we walked... And we met the soldiers there guarding and uh, guarding the crossing points. And they were, of course, very worried. Uh, 400 people arriving on the wall 
and they thought, well, you know, is there going to be violence? And what we did is we simply danced. Israelis and Palestinians, we danced outside the wall, and the soldiers guarding there, they smiled, they relaxed, they right. actually talked to us, they were friendly. The whole atmosphere changed. It's very, very possible. So another thing that we did over years, using mindfulness and using some of the Buddhist uh, methods, um, we brought Israelis and Palestinians together to uh, practice deep listening. And really, before, in order to get into someone's shoes who is potentially an enemy or you don't understand or you label as distant and, and a problem, you have to use, in a way, use mindfulness to look at the other person and listen to their life. So what we used to do is we bring Israelis and Palestinians together for a weekend to basically deeply listen to each other's life, how we live, and what's the pain and difficulty and suffering that we feel in our daily life. When that exchange happened, peace was made. You can no longer see a, a person as a terrorist or uh, as a, uh, an Israeli seeing a Palestinian as a terrorist or a Palestinian seeing an Israeli as an occupier soldier if you're listening to this human being telling you about his his life and his difficulties that he's experiencing absolutely and that way the la- yeah yeah the labels the labels were dropped and peace was made yes absolutely. so it's an ongoing process ongoing process it's it's we're doing it all the time but it's it's slow it's a slog yeah we say it's a slow we're, process to make this shift right to make this shift uh, you wrote, yes. we, we discover that our very nature is peaceful, joyful, and connected. Uh, but we could not see it because it was obscured by beliefs, stories, memories, narratives, and habits that filled our consciousness with burdens and clouds. Once the clouds are seen as unreal and not solid, that's liberation that you were talking about earlier. We realize the sun is there and it will shine out again. And in its light, our view of reality expands beyond the boundaries that we thought were the world. We are changed and life is lived differently. And that is the way you just described what needs to be done. People have to well, see yeah. each other as more similar than they are different as human beings who, w- who wish to let go of their fear and their limitations and embrace a new energy of uh, living together cooperatively, caring for life, loving life, and loving each other beyond the religious stricture, uh, you know, structure or belief systems and to be naturally aware of their inner glow the energy of their inner being so that that's that that is the way it seems to be probably the only way and now we have to find more ways to engage people to look past their differences and to see to see yeah it's an ongoing process in other words it's always possible there can be terrible conflicts and wars, but at the end of the war, then there is always people that wake up and say, wait a minute, what, what have we done? We're, we've been lost. We've been blind. I'm sure that will happen one time in the Israeli-Palestinian 
ongoing conflict, there will be a certain time where people wake up and say, what have we been doing for 100 years? We've, we didn't need all of that conflict. Actually. We're living on the same... <laughs> You know, we're living on the same piece of land. Israelis and Palestinians living together. Their, their, their houses look the same. They eat the same food. And it's just story and narrative and fear that keep people apart. Well, uh, actually, point, you know, it's not, it's not only the hundred years, yes, maybe between the Palestinians and the Israelis, but it's a 4,000 year journey between, you know, the different cultures and, and it, it will improve. I, I have every, hope and guidance from spirit that uh, they are working yeah. very hard with us and we will see improvement uh, you start yeah. with the five moral guidelines or uh, beliefs of the Buddhist world regarded as fundamental and it begins with I will try to be more sensitive to the suffering caused by harming myself and others and I will cultivate compassion and learn ways to protect living things. I will endeavor to do no harm in my ways of thinking and in my way of life. Now, this is not a religious concept, but it is a concept of true compassion for life and for humanity. And can you tell us a few more of the fundamental Buddhist guidelines? Because I find them very beautiful. Yeah, I, I have to say that it's beautiful because it's a practice. It's not a set of rules uh, that uh, you have to keep. Um, it's an ongoing practice to purify your uh, life and uh, to purify the way you are with others and with life itself and with yourself. So it's, it's a practice rather than a set of uh, rules. So the first one is non-harming, and the, the a second one uh, is not taking what is not yours, not taking too much. We need to be careful not to kind of just take, grab, store, have more, and spend our life busy with that. So that's a sense that we can do with less, and we have to be careful not to take from other people people and cause yeah, suffering concern that our, way. Conserve our time and our energy and resources, yes. Yeah, yeah, and sometimes be a bit more simple. We don't yes. need so much. And it helps the planet and helps others. Mm-hmm. A, third, uh, a third principle is uh, what is actually coming out of our mouth? What do we see, uh, say? What do we talk? How are, Is our speech helpful? Is our speech causing divi- division? and hurt or is our speech causing um, uh, ending conflict and suffering and helping others so that's um, uh, uh, speech Uh, the fourth is um, to be careful of our sexual energy Mm. to make sure that our sexual energy is is respectful Uh, we're not making use of others um, and harmonious Uh, It doesn't mean we have to be celibate, but we have to be careful of our sexual energy. And the fourth one is to be careful about uh, intoxications, drugs, drink, etc., which cloud the mind and reduce our ability to be a spiritual being and also to know how to act in the world. So to be careful of that as well. So these these are practices. um, We need wisdom, actually, to be to know how to act in the world, and we need to know how to act in the world to be wise. Now, the, the, 
there's an interaction between the two. Absolutely. You know, in my Reiki master training, there are also five tenets or principles to remember each day, and they are, just for today I will give thanks for my many blessings. Just for today I will be slow to worry. Just for today I will be slow to anger. Just for today I will do my work honestly. And just for today I will be kind to my neighbor and every living thing. So like all practices, uh, they include mm. an adherence to proper thinking, speaking, and yeah. action. And this, this, yeah. the, this is the way uh, we will refine mm. our consciousness and awareness mm. of life. And mm. we will be more loving human beings. And, and we yeah. will have yeah. peace that way, right? Yeah. Actually, I love the uh, first words of all of those principles just for today because it points us to where we need to do this, which is in the now. Yes. We don't hold these things as principles, theoretical principles and values that we'll do one day. It's the now. With the kindness is happening when we get up in the morning. If we get up in the morning, go out in the street and are kind to people right here and now, that's where it works. It's not a, it's not a, a, a future value or just concepts about being good. No, because it shows us we are not perfect. There is no perfection. There's only experience and there are only choices to be made to the best of our ability. We yes. can only do our best each day to, to learn yes. to be a little bit kinder, more loving, more compassionate, yes. more yes. caring. We're not perfect yes. and we must know that. Many people try yes. so hard that they hurt themselves, mm. you know, by by thinking right they're now. doing something wrong. Now, let's get mm. on to... Um, I know what you want people to take away with them after reading What's Beyond Mindfulness because I read a poem in your book that you wrote about your mother when she was totally incapacitated by Alzheimer's that pretty much expresses the truth of the soul for me. So may I read it? Oh, yes, of course. <laughs> Completely beautiful poem. I want to share a secret about the gentle radiance of those last years, so clear, so soft, so good, that even the doctors and the visitors who come and go stop to take a breath and will never forget you. You are not ill. Illness is our label, inscribed by our fears. You know no illness nor wellness, just thereness. No fear of death, no anxieties of what the future may bring or not bring. No pain, no blame, no loss, no regret, no anger at those who abandoned you. No time, no purpose, but the gentle kiss of life itself. The grace that comes when all else goes. To what do you listen so intently? Is it the music of your heartbeat? tapping celestial rhythms on the gates of your soul or is it the humming of bees on that summer's day or the barking of your dogs that only you can quiet or your fingers in their thick fur or dreams of play and play of dreams the kaleidoscope of past and present uninterrupted by our harsh reality as I lie next to you and feel this life flow through and watch your face, no frown, no wrinkles, 
just opened present, then like the moon that shines between passing clouds, beams a joyful smile that vanishes so fast that I do not know if I really saw it. And now again you teach me about a life without fear, without walls, without end, just as you did when I was born, and like then, share your happiest years. I want to thank you, Stephen Folder, for your understanding of the elements of the divine and physical life challenges that, when understood, open up a bridge to worlds of inner wisdom, peace, and love, and immeasurably improve our health and level of happiness sheerly by knowing the truth of our eternal being. For more on finding ways for personal and world peace, go to stephenfolder.com or amazon.com to read this very wonderful book, What's Beyond Mindfulness. In summarizing today's episode of Healing from Within, we have discovered ways to find peace within and in the world and happiness through opening our heart to the possibilities of awareness and higher consciousness, living with the tenets of Buddhism and fulfilling our human and divine journey of life, to participate with gusto in living with courage, love, harmony, and balance in order to make our communities and world reflect heaven on earth. That state is not an idea, but a reality when you understand you are a spiritual being having a physical life, and the choices you make in response to the situations you face make all the difference. We are each of us capable of feeling within the passion of life and love and holding that energy and awareness through the many challenges we face in a physical world. Stephen and I would ask you to remember that life is full of possibilities for your personal power to grow and expand as you allow yourself to surrender and not resist the daily life challenges, but flow into contact with adversity and conquer it through efforts to remain in alignment to your true soul nature, to love and be loved. I am Cheryl Glick, host of Healing From Within, and invite you to visit my website, CherylGlick.com, to listen to and read about visionaries, metaphysicians, scientists, spiritualists, educators, medical practitioners, and those in the arts and music field share their ways to living successfully. Shows may also be heard on DreamVision7Radio.com and WebTalkRadio.net. Thank you.